Welcome to episode seven of the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast. So this episode is a bit different. Earlier in the year, it's 2016, and earlier in the year, I spoke at the 2016 Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and the topic of the presentation was e-commerce marketing and optimization. So there is a whole bunch of stuff that I talked about, that I shared. It's probably three or six months worth of an e-commerce marketing strategy. So I figured the guys there recorded the presentation, so we've got full audio and full video. So I thought the audio would actually make a great podcast episode. So here we are. So uh, there's quite a lot of stuff in the presentation. It might be one that you may want to re-listen to a few times because it gets a bit technical. We really get into some technical SEO stuff and some tech stuff around domain names and hosting and all that sort of good stuff. So yeah, you might want to really listen to it. And there is also a video synced with the slides too, which might make it easier to follow along and take notes and whatever. So in the show notes over at the Predator e-commerce website and over at SoundCloud, I will put a link to that YouTube video as well so you can check that out. So that's pretty much it. I'll leave you to it. Hope you enjoy this episode. Would love your feedback on it if you have any. And if you have the time, I'd love you to put a review on iTunes as well. If you have a few minutes, that's pretty much it. Leave you to it. Cheers. You're listening to the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast. The show where we help you grow your six-figure e-commerce business to seven figures and seven-figure e-commerce business to eight figures and beyond. If you want to learn more about how we can help you in your business, go to ParettoEcommerce.com. Alrighty, so... Uh, I'm supposed to be talking about e-commerce marketing and optimization, and I understand that not everyone in here owns an online store or is in the e-commerce game. So as much as possible, I've made this broad strokes, and there's a lot of stuff. We're talking like a lot of tactics. So there's a lot of stuff in here for basically any business selling online. So the title is from five and six figures to seven figures and beyond. So a little bit about me. My main business is the search engine shop. It's a local SEO and AdWords agency in Australia. Um, in the mid-2000s, I also grew an e-commerce business. We acquired it for free. Uh, it was doing 100K turnover at the time, and within about just over two years, we took it to doing $6.5 million a year turnover. It's a long story. Ultimately, that business fell over due to our own stupidity. But uh, out of that grew my current business. And in 2009, 2010, we won a government contract to do workshops and training for small business owners in Australia about web stuff. So that's how I grew my current business. So since then... We've worked with around 2,000 businesses uh, through our services, through consulting, through one-on-one training workshops. So today we manage the assets for several hundred businesses and there's some common things we see all the time, some common mistakes and some tactics that we see that work really, really well. So my goal for this session is two things. One, to give you one really easy quick win that you can do yourself really quick and easy in the next seven days that's going to have some sort of impact. And then also one bigger, something more chunky that might take some time to implement, but it's going to significantly move the needle. It might take some time to do, but it's really going to show results. Is that okay? Cool. So, we'll start with this. So I've got three sections for you, and I've got a lot of stuff and not a lot of time, so we'll have to jam it in and we'll have to move quickly. So the first one, I want to talk about protecting the downside. So there's so much stuff online in the blogosphere 
that you're exposed to all day long about growing businesses, getting more traffic, ranking higher, doing more on social media, all that sort of stuff. But there's almost no talk about protecting the downside. So success is a funny thing. It often happens by accident. And failure is the same. It often happens by accident as well. So to succeed in business, we want to cover our ass. There's a lot of small little things that you can do, often cost no money or a few bucks a month, that will practically eliminate all the risk that you currently hold in your business. So I'm going to share a few of those. Because a lot of people don't talk about these. There's this weird thing where people will happily spend a lot of money on stuff, but then balk at paying five or 10 bucks a month on something as simple as Vault Press that will completely back up their website, protect it. You know, If it gets hacked or it falls over, they'll have a backup that actually works. So I'm going to run through some of these. Some of these you're probably already doing. There'll be some people in the room that are going to look at these and go, shit, I'm not doing that. I need to do it. So we've got a simple checklist. Let's talk about your hosting. So there's four parts of your hosting. Domain name, DNS hosting, email hosting, web hosting. So ideally, all four parts of your hosting should be with separate providers. Most people, when they're starting out, they get a Bluehost account for five bucks a month, four bucks a month, whatever it is, stick all their stuff there. So that's a problem. Because if Bluehost falls over, it's down for the day, or has a prolonged outage, then all your stuff's going to be down. If you have it with four separate, provi separate providers, if one of those goes down, then you're going to be okay. So if email goes down, it's not going to knock out the website. If the website goes down, it's not going to knock out email. So a simple step that most people don't do. Does that make sense? Let's talk about domain names. So domain names cost 20 bucks a year, something like that, almost nothing. But they are the foundational component of your online business. Everything sits on top of the domain name. Your email, your brand, your SEO rankings, your customers know your domain name. Every single thing in your business, in your online business, is tied back to the domain name. The problem is, it costs 20 bucks a year or whatever it is, 30 bucks a year, so no one really gives it any attention. So there's a disproportionate amount of risk associated with a domain name, it's doing a disproportionate amount of things in your business and you're not giving it much attention. So some simple steps to protect your domain name are going to go a long way. So who is protection for your domain? Yeah, it's going to cost you 10 bucks a year or something like that, but it's going to give you a base level of protection. Having the domain name in the right corporate entity's name is really important. We deal with a lot of businesses, seven and eight figure businesses, and there have been problems selling businesses because one partner who doesn't want to sell owns the domain name, it's technically in their name, and the other partner wants to sell, it's not actually in the business name. So it's critical that your domain name is owned by the right entity. It's a simple step, but you know, when you're registering a domain name at 3am in the morning, it's something you're not really thinking about. And then the last one is two-factor authentication on your domain name. This is especially important for people in this scene, we work on public Wi-Fi, unencrypted Wi-Fi, coffee shops, places where people can be looking over your shoulder. It's crazy that some people are still not using two-factor authentication. So for domain registration, domain registrar, we use Namecheap. It is cheap, it's good quality, and they support two-factor authentication. So if your current registrar doesn't support two-factor authentication, it's probably worth looking at moving. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's talk about DNS hosting. Most people don't think about this either because it's one of those underlying tech things that just happens. It's part of web hosting or something, does stuff. Just like your domain name, DNS hosting is a foundational component of making everything work. It makes your online assets work. 
basically converts internet addresses into IP addresses. So often when you see people talk about, and you guys have seen it, there's a lot of talk about website speed and 0.1% of a second is so much conversion, all this sort of nonsense. And people talk about moving web hosting provider and the website goes much faster. A lot of the time, that's because they've moved DNS hosting. So the DNS hosting actually plays a really important role in website speed and reliability. And again, if you're using Bluehost or HostGator or some other shitty host for a few bucks a month, their DNS hosting sucks. It's slow, it's unreliable. So ultimately, that means that your website's going to be slow and unreliable. So the provider we use for DNS hosting, we use Cloudflare. It's actually free. It's one of the top 10 fastest providers, DNS providers in the world. And it does a whole bunch of other stuff, website acceleration, security, and some other things that just make your website faster and better and more secure. So check it out. If you can't use Cloudflare, then it's worth checking out Amazon DNS. That would be my second choice. So pretty simple stuff. You do those few things, they're going to remove a lot of risk around the business. Cloudflare will protect your website from a lot of hack attempts and a lot of rubbish traffic that's hitting it. And it's free. All right, a few more things. Downtime costs money. So almost all of us are in the online business game. So every second the website's down effectively costs money. So the downtime actually literally can cost you money. So it makes sense to pay a few bucks a month for uptime monitoring. But most people aren't doing it. So we use pingdom.com uh, and we use uptime robot as well. So we have two different, we have a lot of, we do a lot of hosting. So we have hosting environments that need to be monitored. So if those environments go down, I get an SMS, our team gets an SMS, and we can do something about it. So again, the last thing you want to do is get up in the morning, check your web stats, and see that you haven't made any money overnight because the website's been down for 12 hours. So again, something that costs you five or 10 bucks a month, removes a lot of risk around losing income, things not working. Does that make sense? Uh, some other simple ones. Um, particularly because we're all working on, in coffee shops and public Wi-Fi and someone else's network, VPN, which I'm sure you all probably already know about, but a lot of you won't be using. Uh, there's a plugin for Chrome that I use, HTTPS Everywhere, which will force the traffic over a secure connection if the website supports it. It's a very easy way to add extra an extra layer of security to what you're doing. Uh, OpenDNS, so using OpenDNS servers for the DNS server settings on your computer is a really easy way to prevent against low-level attacks, and it will filter out a lot of websites that have been hacked or trying to do dodgy things. And then the little snitch network monitor, it's a great little tool, I think it's paid, but it's not much. It'll tell you exactly what's happening on the network connection on your computer, but the other benefit is when you're on a Skype call or you need to make an important call and the internet's unreliable, it'll tell you what's using the bandwidth, what's using the internet connection so you can turn it off. So it's a really handy little tool as well. And then, I don't have to tell you guys, but I do see it all the time when clients send us passwords, using the same password on everything. So a password manager makes it easy not to do that. So if you're not using a password manager, it's worth checking out, one password or LastPass. And then giving staff their own accounts for stuff. It's all pretty straightforward stuff, but I guarantee you there's some people in this room who are not doing some of it. Does that all make sense? It's all good? All right. I feel like I'm ranting a bit, but... You know, you'd be surprised we get clients coming to us every month with problems related to not doing these things. So backups is a huge one. There's kind of, well, in a digital business, in an online business, um, a disproportionate amount of the business value is tied up in digital assets. The digital assets are effectively the business value. 
But then there's also this kind of psychology around, it doesn't matter, it's not front of mind, I'll be fine. There's this expectation that nothing's going to go wrong. But the reality is very different. Laptops break, you drop a laptop, you drop a phone, it gets wet, cloud services go offline, things break, Amazon goes down, data loss is going to happen, it's inevitable. So it's better to have the attitude that it is going to happen and prepare for it and have your ass covered as opposed to sticking your head in the sand, shit hits the fan, drop the laptop, you lose important data, something goes down, things are broken and you lose money ultimately. So, some simple rules to live by. Expect that it's going to happen and prepare for it. Pretty straightforward. That simple change in mindset will make a big difference. It'll uncover a lot of risk that you're carrying right now around data and where the value is in your business. Second one, don't trust anyone with your backups. I mean, it's basically the data is, those digital assets are the value of the business. I mean, you wouldn't go handing out your internet banking details. So I wouldn't go handing out backups, access to backups, just to anybody. So don't trust anyone with your backups. It really is, that data really is the value of your business. Two independent backups where possible. There's a saying that two is one and one is none when it comes to backups. So one backup is probably not going to be enough because Murphy's Law, when you go to use the backup, it's likely it's going to be missing data, something's going to be wrong, doesn't work properly, there'll be some issue. So if you have two backups, there's going to be overlap. If there's a gap in one, it's more than likely the other one's covering that gap. So important that really aim for a minimum of two. Um, backups must be automated with monitoring. Manual backups don't count because that needs you to do it. And again, don't trust the monitoring. Check them regularly. I check our backups, depending on what the backup it is, uh, weekly or monthly when I do our finances. It's that important to me. Is that cool? Okay. So this is basically the backup strategy we have in our business. So we do a lot of WordPress stuff, like probably most of you. So we have recently moved from VaultPress. VaultPress is a great backup solution, but we actually discovered it has huge gaps. Uh, so we actually moved to BlogVault, which is a cheaper solution, and it actually tells us what it's not backing up, which is great. And then we use WP Engine. We actually spend five figures a year on WP Engine, and they do backups as well. But we have the BlogVault in every instance because I don't trust WP Engine. Um, on a cloud service, you're probably not going to have that option to back stuff up. We found a tool called mover.io, which is fantastic. It will back stuff up to Dropbox. It's a cheap tool, but it will back things up like Shopify websites. Anything you have FTP access to or web access to, it can back up. So it's a great tool. Uh, email is an important one. There's a lot of value stored in email. I don't know how many times a day I go to Gmail and search for stuff. So we use Backupify. It'll back up personal Gmail accounts and Google Apps accounts, and also backs up Google Docs. And what else we got? So PC backup, crash plan, and Dropbox, and we have the extended uh, Dropbox history. I think it's 40 bucks a year. Uh, the bottom one we started doing recently, we have UPS power protection and, uh, with solar panels for our staff in the Philippines because they're getting a lot of power outages, and that was causing problems where stuff were offline for the day, and also they were losing data because things were, the, the power quality was so bad. So it's pretty cheap, it's a few hundred bucks a year, uh, sorry, a few hundred bucks to get them a UPS and a solar panel. All right, all good? Cool, let's talk about money. So all businesses effectively run on money in some way, shape or form, right? Make sense? So 
it kind of follows that if you don't understand money, then you don't really understand business. Yeah? So then my question is, there's a lot of business owners in the room, who here can click a button, within a few clicks, produce a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet accurate to within one to two weeks? It's not many people. So then, if you can't produce these reports, these financial statements, how do you really manage your business? How do you know how well it's doing? This is a very common problem, particularly for startup business owners. Things like running personal and business accounts together, big mistake long term. So, we've got simple finance rules. I actually talked about these at the first DC, Bank, uh, DC Dynamite Circle Bangkok conference in 2012, and I still have friends today coming to me and saying, hey, that thing you talked about, I actually went and did it three years later, four years later. So, simple stuff, common sense, but I guarantee a lot of people are making these mistakes. Running your personal business finances through the same accounts, even if you're not incorporated, it's a crazy thing to do because it's very hard to manage the business, see how well it's doing, if you're treating it like your personal piggy bank, which some people do. We just talked about the profit and loss and the balance sheet. Um, being 100% legal and tax compliant. This is a funny one because we're in Asia, we're traveling, we're not at home, and a number of people I talk to are like, not there, they're not gonna get me, so that's fine. I'll just leave those debts. I'll just leave my tax returns for five years. The thing is, the IRS, the ATO in Australia, those tax agencies, they're all government-funded debt collectors. Their job is to get their money from you no matter what. So what you'll find, if that's your attitude, head in the sand, that you'll go back home, five years of tax returns, you lodge them, they come looking for five years worth of money and interest. So it's better to be legal and tax compliant today, and take a little bit of pain right now, than sit on your hands and ignore it, and then it comes and bites you in the ass in years to come. I've made this mistake. I've had $80,000 bills come from the ATO when I was in my early 20s. It's not fun. So don't make the mistakes I make. Do something about it today. And really, once you've got a little bit of a momentum and once you're making a little bit of money, you really should incorporate. Running business as yourself, um, as you as the entity, opens you up to a lot of risk that you don't see and a lot of potential problems. So the sooner you incorporate, the better. And then the bookkeeping, you shouldn't really be doing bookkeeping. It's basic data entry. You should have a bookkeeper. Someone should be doing it for you. In terms of reading financial reports, if you can't check all these boxes, if you don't know what some of these terms mean, then you probably need to do some work and do some learning. And it's funny, the only person I've ever seen in the blogosphere or in the online space talk about this is Andrew Udarian. On his e-commerce fuel blog, he has two articles that are fantastic. If you don't know what a profit and loss statement is or a balance sheet is, that's probably a good place to start. Um, but he's the only person I've seen dig into these, which is crazy because there's millions of articles on SEO and AdWords and everything else. But again, if we come back to the point that the business runs on money, it's important that we understand money and how it works, right? So some important ones here, the difference between a cash and accrual business, which will become increasingly important if you're dealing with staff, dealing with payment terms, dealing with inventory. That's a very important thing to understand, the difference between the two. Knowing that the trends are more important than the individual numbers, um, and whether or not you're tracking the trend, is it trending up or down? So that's really important. Um, not all growth is good. Controlled growth is great. Uncontrolled explosive growth can kill a business. 
So that's ultimately what happened to our e-commerce business. We grew like crazy. It was completely uncontrolled. We grew from four to 25 staff in a very short period of time. We were just kids. All of a sudden, we had all this money in the bank account. And it was just crazy. It was out of control. So ultimately, the business ran out of cash because we didn't know some of these things. We had uncontrolled explosive growth. And that can be very dangerous. Keeping a personal net worth spreadsheet can be very powerful. Um, I mean, ultimately, we're all in this to grow our own personal net worth. So tracking your own net worth can be a really good way to see how you're doing overall in the big picture. And then the last one, not all accountants are created equal. So be careful who you take uh, business advice from because a tax accountant is more like a tax lawyer and doesn't necessarily, is not really necessarily in a position to give you good business advice. Is that all good? So, some resources for you. I've talked about Andrew's uh, blog articles there, so that'd be a good place to start if you're not familiar with some of these things. And then the book, Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs, is probably the next step. It's well worth a read. Uh, those are some of the tools we use. We use uh, Zapier to connect all sorts of stuff to our accounting system, so we have multiple things, uh, taking the money off customers online, and we use Zapier to push it into zero. So zero is our cloud accounting system. All right. So that's section one. Section two, quick wins. So I'll go through these quickly. These are more e-commerce focused, but there is some that apply to all businesses. So the first one is understanding funnels. Uh, we do a lot of work with clients around particular tools. The question we get a lot of the time in our workshops is, you know, I heard this tool is great. Should I be using Facebook ads? Should I be using this or that? And the underlying problem there really is that they don't understand how a marketing funnel works. So this is a marketing funnel. It's a terrible slide. It's almost like clip art, but hopefully it gives you the idea. So you might have heard the terms top of funnel, bottom of funnel, and it refers to this. So at the top of the funnel, customers are not aware of us. They're not aware of your business, the products and service, or the, or the solutions you offer. And they might not be aware that they have a problem. So in the middle, they have little or no active demand. They have some sort of awareness. They have a tiny bit of demand, maybe, but they really have no pressure to change or there's, no, there's too much friction to change. And then at the bottom of the funnel, they have active demand. They're actively seeking to buy, to solve the problem, to do something about it. So then for us, as business owners, this is really where our focus should be. So at the top of the funnel, we need to be creating awareness of their problems, the solutions we offer. In the middle, we've got to create, reignite, and increase the demand, remove the friction, or increase the pressure to buy. So you've probably seen a lot of stuff around discounts, time-based discounts, and pressure, and things like that. That's what that's all about. And then at the bottom of the funnel, we've got to capture that demand somehow, filter it, and qualify. So just understanding this alone enables you to pick the right tools. So then it comes back to, if you're an e-commerce business, there's really three places where the active demand is, Google, eBay, and uh, Amazon. And then there's other places where there might be active demand, YouTube, Facebook, second-tier shopping channels, Pinterest, Etsy, all those sort of places. But the point I want to make is, if you understand how the marketing funnel works, then you're much better placed to choose the right tool and choose the right channel that works for you. So that should eliminate all the questions you have around 
what do I use Facebook ads? Do I not use Facebook ads? If you can understand where your customers are at or where the bulk of your customers or prospects are at, that'll solve that problem. Okay, this is really an e-commerce specific one. Um, I spoke at Anton's DSL, his first uh, dropship lifestyle conference, and I shared this quick win. And late, uh, a few months after that, um, I had one of the attendees who runs a seven-figure e-commerce business tell me that he did it, and he saw a 10% increase in revenue. So this is a tiny little change, and if you think 10% on seven-figure business, that's a lot of money. So probably maybe an hour's worth of work. Uh, so the action step is to add two words to the title tags on product pages, buy and online. And why we do it comes back to the funnel. When people are ready to buy, when they have that active demand, they go to Google and say, they type in buy something online or some variation of that. So adding those words to the title tag, the SEO title tag can make a huge difference. It makes us rank higher for those terms and it gets us better quality visitors. So what I mean is it looks something like this. So we have a before. This is Dan and Ian's business from the Tropical MBA before they sold it. So we have a before example uh, for litter box hiders. And then we have some after examples. Ideally, we want to be the middle one. So buy litter box hiders online. That'll make a huge difference. Some e-commerce platforms have a limitation where you can't do that. So in that case, you'd add the buy online after it. So this simple change for that one guy more than $100,000 in revenue per annum. Here's another example, massage tables. So pretty simple again, add the buy online to the end of it. Uh, most of the time you can do this manually if you only have a handful of products or you can export to uh, CSV and do some find replace there in Excel or there might be an SEO plugin that will allow you to template it. So that's a quick and easy one for e-commerce. Also Google Shopping optimization, so you might have seen this. I'll go through it quickly because I know a lot of you guys aren't in the e-commerce space. Um, probably the biggest thing, the biggest way to optimize your Google shopping campaigns is to add negative keywords. Um, I actually have, if you go to my website, paretoecommerce.com, sign up for the autoresponder. One of the modules in there has a video that shows you exactly how to do it. So often that can double the profitability of those campaigns very quickly and easily. All right, rules to live by. Don't ask, don't get. So my old business partner used to say this all the time. He was a strange man. He was a little Napoleon type character. But he used to say, don't ask, don't get, all the time. And it used to drive me nuts. But it ended up sticking, and now it's one of the rules I live by. So many providers will give you a discount or give you something just by asking. So don't ask, don't get. So places like Shopify, you give them a call, they'll give you a discount. We had one of our... Uh, e-commerce blueprint members call Shopify and he got a $2,000 a year discount. Uh, a 0.01% reduction in your credit card processing rate on a million dollars a year is 10 grand. Just by making a few quick calls, you can get these sort of discounts. So there's probably places in your business where you're overpaying right now. You might have a monthly service you can change to yearly and save 20%. Simple things like that. But this rule don't ask, don't get. If you live by it, make it a habit. Put it in your calendar every three months to review stuff and ask for discounts. It can be a really, really easy way to save a lot of money. Very simple. All good? All right. Money meta descriptions. Okay, meta descriptions matter. So if you don't want to know what a meta description is, it's the little blurb that appears in the Google search results when the search results come up. 
It's funny because in the AdWords space, we do a lot of AdWords, and if you go to an AdWords blog or any Ad AdWords website, there's all this talk about CTR or click-through rate. Small, tiny tweaks you can make to an AdWords ad that will double the click-through rate. So that means twice the traffic. So something as simple as swapping the top and bottom uh, lines in an AdWords ad can double the click-through rate. So that's twice the traffic from that ad. In the SEO space, nobody talks about this, which is really strange because there's so much talk about rankings. But to actually get the traffic from Google, from organic search, you actually have to rank and get the click. So actually, ranking is only half the job. So I want to talk about meta descriptions. Small little tweaks and changes can make a massive difference. And a lot of you guys, no matter what website you're running, there are probably problems with your meta descriptions or things you can change that are going to make a big difference. Your homepage is a really good one. So it's probably worth writing a note to go and check your homepage and see what the meta description says, because that's probably the thing that's going to get the most mileage in the Google search results, so it's going to give you a lot of leverage. So some quick ones. When the meta description is not set, Google just pulls a random blurb from the web page, which often doesn't really make sense or doesn't entice the click. So we have some simple rules. If you follow these rules, it will make quite a bit of difference over time to your traffic hitting your website. So every page on your website needs a unique meta description because every page should be unique. If it's not unique, then why does it exist? Why is it live? Um, use capitals at the start of important words. It's an easy one. And use capital letters strategically. You can't really use capital letters in an AdWords ad, but you can use them in your meta descriptions. Really simple way to stand out amongst competitors. Sell the sizzle. It's like a mini sales letter. So what you're really selling is the click, not necessarily the product. You need to give people a, a reason to click you over the competitors. Uh, and remember, simple things like adding your phone number into the meta description can make a huge difference. Um, and it's not just in the search results that meta descriptions show up. They show up on social as well. So often you'll see stuff shared on Facebook that doesn't have a meta description set, and it doesn't really have any information to entice you to click through. So here's an example of what I mean. So this is natural stacks. This has actually been fixed, and now they're following our template. But the top is the before example when we took this screenshot for a vitamin D product. So you can see there... The meta description basically tells us what vitamin D is. So again, coming back to our sales funnel, marketing funnel, if I'm searching for vitamin D, I already know what it is. I want vitamin D. I don't need to be told what it does or what it is. So rewriting the meta description to the second example, that it's high-potency vitamin D3 capsules with certified organic oil, coconut oil, to boost absorption, buy online with fast and short nationwide shipping. Making that small change will make a huge difference to organic traffic. Because you think about it, you could, you're competing with 10 other people, 15 other people in their search results. You need to give them a reason to click. So if you do this on your home page, small little tweak, it'll make a big difference. So you see there that a lot of the important words have capitals at the start. That's a really easy way to make these work better and make them stand out. So some tools you can use to see what your meta descriptions currently look like. Screaming Frog SEO Spider, which is a crazy name, but it's free for up to 500 URLs. So most small websites, that's fine. Xenu Link Sleuth is another good one. And just doing this search in Google, this is a really powerful one. If I'm talking with someone on the phone and they want to buy stuff from us, I'll do this search while they're on the phone, and it will tell me a lot about their website. So the site, domain.com search. So there's an example. We'll do the modern cat designs again, Dan and Ian's website. So these are the search results. I don't know how easy that is to read, but there's some things we want to pay attention to. Um, this will show us all the pages Google sees on the website 
uh, for that particular domain. So you can see there it gives us the number of pages indexed, so it should roughly match what's on the website or very closely. You can see there it shows us the title tags and the meta description. And you see immediately there's a problem there because modern cat designs is repeated in that title tag. So those are simple little mistakes that will make a big difference to that business over time. It will hurt it quite a lot. So again, we have the meta description. Meta description is not set. So here's basically our checklist, what we're looking for when we do that search. So again, if you did that search on your website, you might find that there are some problems or some easy wins there. Alrighty, got a few more slides. Okay, so email, I won't get into this too much, but email is a special case because it can both boost traffic and conversion. Most people aren't really doing it, so my recommendation is just to do it consistently. I even struggle with this, most people struggle with this. It's just easy to forget, but it's hugely powerful. 80-20 uh, of conversion optimization. Um, traffic is one part of doing stuff online. Actually converting the visitor is another one. Uh, these are kind of the tools and hacks we use um, to boost conversions. We're not talking about changing button colors, we're talking about big improvements, like 50%, 100% improvements. So live chat with proactive chat, that's my best tool. Out of any tool you can use for conversion optimization, that's the best one. So you all know what live chat is. Most live chat tools have a proactive chat where they can start a conversation with the visitor. Zopim is a good place to start, Z-O-P-I-M. Uh, it's cheap and I think it has free for 30 days and it hooks up to your smartphone. So particularly if you're starting out, you don't want to be sitting in front of the computer all day, but some people do. If you have Zopim on your, Zopim on your phone, the, you can have the live chat conversations on there as well. So it's a really good way to get insights, to find problems in the website or low-hanging fruit that you can fix that will help boost that conversion. Um, some other good ones, Crazy Egg and Lucky Orange are fantastic tools in terms of seeing what's going on with the website. Lucky Orange will actually show you visitor, uh, videos of visitors on the website. Um, so it's really powerful. The bottom one, ditch the PayPal Express buttons. Anything that forces the customer through PayPal before your checkout can be a problem because it's going to break. People don't like PayPal. People forget their PayPal logins. There's some sort of problem. The PayPal website runs slow as hell sometimes. So I would use Stripe instead of PayPal. Um, generally, where the customers are given an option between Stripe and PayPal, we see a 60-40 or 70-30 split in favor of Stripe. So that's definitely an easy win there if you only have PayPal. All right. So I did have a whole bunch of mental models and frameworks, but I'm just going to give you one because uh, we're limited on time. Um, and a lot of new business owners, which I'm sure there's many of you in this room, don't really understand the fund fundamentals of making money in a business. So there's a simple model that I learned early on that can make or break a business. So it's this. This is my, from my friend Lisa's book. It's basically the five ways to make money in a business. Get more leads, prove the conversion rate, increase the average transaction size, Get more transactions will reduce the cost. Now, in a brand new business, you really need to move left to right on that, so you need to get some leads and start doing stuff. But for an established business, when someone's looking at growing it, there's still a tendency to go left to right on that diagram. But what you'll find, if you've been running for a few years and you have momentum and traction, if you go right to left on that diagram, you'll find some really easy low-hanging fruit. So we actually built 
the model we use to work with clients is based on this. So you see there, leads equals traffic, we've got conversion rate, trust and relationship, and technology and systems. So when we work with small business clients, bricks and mortar clients, this is typically the model. We get them to learn and understand, and we start at the bottom, business fundamentals, and then move up from there. All right, that's it. I'm done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, come on. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast. If you want the latest e-commerce tips, tactics, and strategies, make sure to join our mailing list at ParettoEcommerce.com.